Good morning, Avenue South. Uh, For those of you that I have not met, my name is Aaron, and I'm the campus and teaching pastor. And we are grateful that you're here with us on this Sunday morning. Uh, We're going to continue worshiping through the reading of God's Word together. We do that when we're gathered on Sunday mornings. So we're going to put that scripture on the screen as we always do. And if you have a Bible or you have an app on your smartphone, we want to encourage you to read with us so that the other six days of the week when we're not corporately gathered, you can go back and chew on God's Word uh, and allow it to become part of the fabric of your life. And we're actually concluding a sermon series on doctrine today. The word doctrine simply means the essentials of what Christians believe. What do we believe about how God has revealed himself through scripture and how does that impact our lives today? Doctrine is simply the essentials of what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. And fittingly, since it's the conclusion of the series, we're going to look today at the doctrine of future things or the conclusion of Where is all this going? What does the end of the human experience look like? And what is God doing ultimately with everything that's happening in the world? And you know, I was really reminded of this a few years ago, this doctrine. It is so real and so important to us. uh, But it wasn't in a serious manner that I was reminded of it. I was walking down the street, just a few streets over from where we are right now, and there was a gentleman walking towards me with a t-shirt. And I'm going to put this image up on the screen, but maybe you have seen this image But this is his t-shirt. Jesus is coming. You should look busy. Jesus is coming. You should look busy. Now, no judgment whatsoever upon said individual wearing this t-shirt. But I don't think it was prominently displayed in a reverent, holy way. It was as if to say, hey, Christians believe that Jesus is coming back. So there's probably something we should be doing in the meantime. And you know what? How many of us would know what Jesus has said about when he's going to return? And how many of us would live as if it matters that he's coming back? Well, I'm so glad that Scripture is very clear that Jesus is coming back. Scripture is very clear what will happen for each of us when Jesus comes back. And it's also very clear about what we should be doing as individuals and as the church until Jesus comes back. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see exactly where this is true in Scripture. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning? We're going to read the words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. And we're going to read them empowered by the Holy Spirit as they are said to us, the church at Avenue South, this morning. Chapter 4, verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, And with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left here on earth, will be caught up together with those saints in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with Jesus. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
Brothers and sisters at the church at Avenue South, you may grieve, but you do not grieve without hope because the same Jesus who came, died, and was resurrected will return again. And when he does, he will resurrect those bodies of those who have fallen asleep. And those who are dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are still left here alive will be gathered together with him, and we will be with Jesus forever. Praise God, and may he honor the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we profess and proclaim our belief this morning that you have come and you will come again. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give us a sense of hopeful anticipation about that and also a very urgent sense of compulsion to live as if that truth matters today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, when you read Paul's letters to these different churches in the New Testament, the church here in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, we get clues about what the people were going through and the spiritual and doctrinal questions they had because Paul, in different chapters and different passages, will answer very specific things. And it's very apparent that many of the Thessalonians, they were sad, they were grieving the loss of dear, close loved ones and friends who had died and left this world. And Paul doesn't tell them not to grieve. Grieving is a natural part of the human condition. It's completely okay to be sad. It's completely okay to be grieving the loss of something dear and close to you. Paul does not say don't grieve. What Paul says is although your grief is real, it is tempered with the reality that Christ is alive. Jesus, who's a credible expert on death and resurrection, gives us the confidence that what Paul's saying is true. Jesus himself said this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And he asked those he was talking to, do you believe this? I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will die in this life. That's the last enemy any of us will face. We live in a beautiful but a broken world. And the last enemy everyone on this planet will face is death. But even though you die once, you will not die again. You will be raised again and you will never die. You will live eternally in the life to come with me. Do you believe this? Now, Paul says several times in here, those that have fallen asleep, those that have fallen asleep, those that have fallen asleep. What he's referring to is those who have passed away who were followers of Jesus. Those who have died who have passed away that were followers of Jesus. At death, when we expire in this life, you don't cease to exist. Now, your physical body is buried or placed in the ground, but we are body and spirit or soul. And on the moment of our death, our spirit goes to meet Jesus. This is all throughout Scripture. It's not just something I think or I want you to believe because I believe it. But Philippians 1.21 says this, To live is Christ and to die is gain. The Apostle Paul said, Now if I live on in the flesh in this life, that means fruitful work. There's great ministry I can do. Now I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I, I want to do good things here, but I long to depart and be with Christ, which is so much better. I have faith in Christ, but when I die and meet him, I'll be able to see him and touch him. 
So Paul lets us know when we die, we meet Jesus. We are not unconscious. We are not asleep as if we don't know what's happening. Paul uses that as a metaphor for death. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says this, We are always confident and know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from this body and at home with the Lord. Paul says, listen, when you die, your body may go in the ground, but your spirit goes directly to Jesus. And Paul says, I I can't wait for that. I long for that. And the reality is that when you and I leave this world, we will all meet Jesus. We will meet Jesus. Those of us who profess our faith in him now and those who say he's a kook, he's crazy, or maybe he was a gifted teacher, but he's not the son of God. Everybody on the planet's going to meet Jesus when they die. Hebrews 9.27 says this, And it is appointed for all people to die once physically in this life and after this to face Jesus for judgment. And when we meet Jesus face to face, we will be evaluated. The sum total of our existence will be evaluated on, do you know me or do you not know me? Jesus said, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word, that's like right now, whoever, the woman, the man, the child, who hears my word, And believes him, that's God, who sent me has eternal life. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and we sung about that, Justin and the team led us this morning singing about the death of Jesus, that on the cross he paid for our brokenness and our sins with his perfect blood sacrifice. But we're not just forgiven by placing our faith in that finished work. God raised Jesus from the dead, and our belief is that the same Jesus who died for us now lives for us. And can empower us to live purposefully and confidently. Those who believe in Jesus, you put the full weight of your life upon him, have eternal life. That means in the life to come, you will have eternal life. That implies that there will be those who will not have eternal life. Only the ones who've placed their faith in me. It'll be in a literal place called heaven. Right after we meet Jesus, those of us who know Jesus, we will be united with him, and then we will spend eternity with him in a literal place called heaven. And one of the great things about it is not where it is. Kids always want to know where is heaven, what does it look like. And there are clues and there are truths scripturally about maybe how we can understand that better. But the greatest thing about heaven is that Jesus is there. And he's perfect, and he redeems and restores all things. There's no sickness, there's no crying, there's no pain, there's no cancer, there's no illness, there's no broken relationships, there's no baggage, there's no awkward conversations. There's never having to wear a mask again in heaven so that the person you're talking to will receive you as you want them to receive you, not as you truly are. And heaven is a great place, and Paul says, I can't wait to get there. And that's the reality for believers who follow Jesus. But Scripture is pretty clear that there will be those who do not profess faith in Jesus. And just so you know, this church doesn't manipulate people to follow Jesus. We don't coerce people. We don't strong arm. Jesus didn't do that. We're not going to do that. We will love and serve everyone in Berry Hill, Melrose, and the community, and the Middle Tennessee that God puts us in contact with. And whether they want our Jesus or not, we will still love and show them and reveal to them and proclaim to them, you're created in the image of God and you have dignity and you have worth and you have value. And we hope they see by the profession of our mouth and the way we love each other and the way we love people in our communities that there is a God, his name is Jesus, and that they might want our Jesus. But if they don't, we'll still serve and love them faithfully as God's called us to. But there will be people who say, I'm not interested. And the Bible says that when they die and meet Jesus, Jesus will say, depart from me. These are God's words. These are Jesus' words, not mine. Depart from me, I never knew you. 
Matthew 25, and they will go away into eternal punishment. If there's eternal life, then they will go into eternal punishment. And the opposite of life is death, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Scripture reveals that the eternal punishment that people who do not know Jesus is a literal place called hell. And it's not a popular doctrine, doesn't make people feel good, and nobody really wants to show up to church or a Bible study and hear about hell and eternal separation from God. Nobody really wakes up wanting to hear and talk about that. But listen, if you and I believe this and we believe Scripture and Jesus says, this is what's at stake, you either know me or you don't, how much do you and I have to hate people not to live with the reality and the compulsion that this is real and that's what's at stake and that should motivate us to tell people about Jesus? The Bible says it's a real place, and there are a lot of descriptors about hell. There's darkness, there's isolation, there's exclusion from God's presence, there's restlessness, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. The great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon in London said this when he was talking to his church. Beloved, these things, talking about hell is such a weighty issue that while I dwell upon it, I feel far more inclined to sit down and weep than to stand up and tell you about it. It's real. And, and listen, just so you know, there is no scriptural support anywhere in our Bible. 66 books, the full canon of scripture, there's no support for a purgatory, heaven's waiting room, second chances, opportunities after this life. When you meet Jesus, God will honor whatever decision you chose to make, whether you chose to follow him or not in this life. He is a respecter of persons, and he will honor that. The Bible tells us that is what is at stake. The Bible tells us that not only those who leave this world and meet Jesus, that's what will happen, but the Bible tells us Jesus is going to come back one day. That he will come back one day and there will be people that are alive when he returns. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. You know, my grandfather passed away in 2002. And one of his dreams was that he wanted to be alive when Jesus came back. He was like, this verse right here, the shouts, the trumpets, the archangels, oh, like here he comes, like I want to be there and be raised up to meet Jesus when he comes. I just want to be here when it happens. And that was 17 years ago. And the last enemy he faced was death. And he went on to be with Jesus. And remember what Paul said. You can grieve the loss of your grandfather. You can grieve the loss of your loved one. But if they are in Christ, you don't grieve without hope. Christians grieve differently than people who do not know Jesus. It, I've seen it. And so Paul says, be comforted. Be comforted. That's the reality. We don't choose Jesus so that we can see loved ones, but that's one of the realities that will be a benefit of knowing God and being in relationship with others who've chosen to follow him. But the interesting thing for my grandfather is this. Think about my grandfather and all the saints who've gone before us. There have been people like, I'm sure there were people when Paul wrote this letter and it was read publicly that thought, Jesus could come back today. What if he comes back today? I'm going to be alive when he comes back. I'm sure people throughout the centuries have thought, I might be alive when he comes back. But there's been two millennium that have happened since then. And all the people that have gone back with Jesus have gone to be with Jesus. When he returns, they're coming with him. They're coming with him. Verse 16, when the shout happens, the dead in Christ will rise first. What that simply means is the spirit of all the people who have gone before us will come back with Jesus and their bodies will be risen from the grave. Remember, Jesus, who's a credible expert on death and resurrection, has promised, I will raise your body and unite it with your spirit. And when that happens, the new body Jesus gives us, the resurrected body, is perfect. It's glorified. You don't get sinus allergy issues like we do in Middle Tennessee. You don't have the struggle and the hardship and the baggage like glorified, perfect people in a perfect relationship with a perfect God. Isn't that what Jesus wanted in Genesis 3 anyway? 
He's always wanted a perfect people to be in a perfect relationship with. And even though Adam and Eve sinned and we deal with the consequences of it, nothing will thwart our God. He's still going to have that when it's all said and done. And the people who've gone on to be with Jesus, their bodies will be raised first. And it's as if, one scholar said, there's like this royal coming of a king. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And they get to go to the front of the funeral procession. Or they get to go to the front of the arrival. My grandfather's going to be in that throng of people who gets the place of honor at the front. And those of us who are still alive, should it happen today? Should it happen today? You thought about that lately? What if Jesus returns right after your little lunch here in a few minutes? then the rest of us will be gathered in as if we are an official delegation saying, unite us to yourself, bring about your new heaven and your new earth and make everything that's wrong with this world come untrue. Redeem and restore all that is broken and all that is affected by the curse of sin, humanity and creation. And that's what Jesus is going to do. And that's why we long for that. That's why God's going to send him back to restore and remake a new heaven and a new earth. And we long for that. And that's what's going to happen when he returns. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, the saints, and we will meet Jesus in the air. That's verse 17. Now, throughout history, especially over the last 150 years, people have really fixated on the words caught up, pulled up, carried up. People have tried to predict and discern, like, when is Jesus coming back? Like, he said he's coming back. When is he coming back? And those of us that are raptured out of, picked up from, what will that be like? And can we predict that? And how will that go? And to be honest with you, this scripture has been dealt with in an ill manner quite a bit over the last couple hundred years. It's important for us to talk about the future of things. Jesus is coming back. Praise God. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We don't know when that'll be, but it's going to happen. You can bank on it. Now, trying to determine and obsess over exactly when. I mean, there's been books. When I was a 12-year-old, there was a guy who said, it's 1988. It's 1988. He's coming back in 1988. And that was like over 20-some-odd years ago. Like, it's, 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 it's absurd to try to guess and obsess over when is it going to happen and predict all these things and get consumed with it. The study of the end times and when all this will take place The big theological term is called eschatology, the study of the end of things. And hear me say, it's important to study these things. It's important to read scripture. But not so much that we get so obsessed with us trying to predict and determine when that'll happen. Rather than being aware there is a God, his name is Jesus, and he's coming back. And you know what? The church should be ready when he gets here. Instead of worrying about when, why don't we determine what we're going to do in preparation for the bride returning? Jesus even told his followers, that day and hour, nobody knows. The angels of heaven don't know, nor the Son. Not even Jesus knows when the Father's going to send him back. It's on his perfect time frame. And one of the guiding documents of our denomination, we are Southern Baptist. One of the guiding documents, the Baptist faith and message says it this way. God in his own time and in his own way will bring the world to its appropriate end. And according to his promise, Jesus will return personally and visibly in glory to earth. The dead will be raised, and Christ will judge all men in, righteous, in righteousness. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell, the place of everlasting punishment. The righteous and their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and will dwell forever with Jesus. No matter what their differences on details, all Christians who take the Bible as the final authority agree that the ultimate result of Christ's return will be the judgment of all people and that we'll live in a new heaven and a new earth. Those of us who know Jesus 
And we will worship him in a never-ending kingdom with no more sin, sorrow, or suffering. There are classes we teach. There are studies we have to dig into the depths of that. But the point that Paul wants us to know is that Jesus is coming back, and we need to not only be excited about that, we need to be working and doing the Lord's business until he returns. We don't know when that'll be. And some people say, well, how, how can you get ready for something you don't know when it is? I'm willing to bet 99.9% of us who drive a vehicle, we took out insurance. We took out auto insurance. We don't know when that collision is going to happen, but we are banking on the reality that it's going to happen. Now, for somebody, it happened when a 16-year-old little not-paying-attention guy that didn't even have a CD player or a smartphone in his car bumped into him at the back of an intersection. That's what I did to somebody my first accident, my first collision. We don't expect that to happen today or tomorrow, but we know it's only a matter of time. You and I plan and prepare for things. We're not really sure when we can nail down a future date that it's going to happen, but we get ready for it. Why shouldn't you and I prepare and get ready for the return of Jesus? Why shouldn't we do that? One of my favorite things that's happening in this church, how the women and the men of this church are preparing for the return of Jesus, is the number of people who are having gospel conversations with their neighbors, their friends, and their co-workers. Out there in the commons area, there is a board that's a gospel conversations board. And what we're doing is we are recording throughout the other six days of the week when we're scattered, the number of conversations we're having where we share with Jesus about the finished work on the cross and the power of the resurrection. And we're simply putting a yellow pin on that map of Nashville, the greater Nashville area. And we're simply saying, this is where we're telling people about Jesus. This is what's at stake. This is where all of this is headed. And we want the opportunity to be telling people about Jesus before the Lord returns. Because when the Lord returns, the opportunities for us sharing with others will diminish tremendously. Because when he comes to remake a new heaven and a new earth, we won't need to be sharing the gospel with other people anymore. We want them to participate in that kingdom. And Jesus even said that himself. Jesus even said the good news of the kingdom, the gospel, will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. There are signs, there are things we can look for to determine when exactly that might be, but Jesus says, I am waiting to return until the people of God share with all people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all neighbors about the good news of Jesus so that they might know me and be with me forever in a literal place called heaven, but that they might discover new eternal life right now. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. You don't know when Jesus is coming back. But he's not only giving people who do not know him the opportunity to respond. He's given the church the opportunity to be faithful to share Jesus with others. And one of my favorite things was I walked in this morning and somebody in the Donaldson and Mount Juliet area is absolutely killing it in gospel conversations. There's like 400 pins up there that weren't there three weeks ago. That's, that's one of the ways God has us preparing to receive him when he comes. We should not only be excited about what it's going to mean, that he is coming back. And we shouldn't just look busy like it's a funny slogan. We should be actively advancing his gospel message so that he can enlarge his kingdom. And we simply share the gospel. We love and we serve and we minister to others. We should live as if it matters and it could happen at any moment. Now, the reason that matters, the reason this doctrine of last things, the reason the, the future of things matters is because there are people in your life and there's people in my life that are good people, they're beautiful people, they're intelligent people, they're smart people, and they don't know Jesus. 
and they don't know Jesus. And every day that Jesus tarries, it's an old school word for waits, every day that Jesus waits and does not return is yet one more opportunity for me and you to love them by serving, ministering, and verbally sharing our faith with them. The results and closing the spiritual deal, that's not what Jesus has called us to do. We don't do that. But you and I have yet another day. This Sunday, the 30th of June, 2019, is yet another day to share the good news of Jesus with others. And I'll say this, for those of you in the room who do not know Jesus, and maybe you're exploring the claims of Christ, Jesus has delayed, God the Father has delayed the return of Jesus yet one more day to give you the opportunity to hear the gospel. You've heard it this morning, that this is the reality for us eternally, and to give you a chance to respond. And there will be no one in this room, there will be none of us who can stand in front of Jesus and say, nobody told me, nobody loved me enough to share that with me. None of us will be able to use that as an excuse. We've all heard it. And so maybe there's somebody in the room, you're like, I've been fooling around, I've been joking, like I've been meaning to get serious, I've been fixing to get ready to trust Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait, do not delay. That's what we need to prioritize and have a sense of urgency about while we long for our king to come back. The church should live with a sense of urgency. My question to you is, do you live with a sense of urgency as if the second coming and the return of Jesus matters? Because it's going to happen. And at that moment, we will want everybody that we know to be brought together into the new kingdom that he's going to initiate. And we've got time right now to do that. And you've got time right now to respond. Let me encourage you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a minute.